Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you are new to my tribe, I'd love to give you my free gift called the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, Three Ways of Navigating Your Way to More Peace, Positivity, and Personal Power, so you can harness your gifts, heal yourself, and definitely create that life of joy. So I'm super excited today because we're going to be talking about meditation and not just with anyone. (laughs) We're going to be talking with the founder of the Zalfo Foundation, a nonprofit organization that promotes meditation and nonviolence. And we could definitely use more of both right now. Claude Anshin Thomas um, actually has a very, very interesting uh, background Um, He is a guiding teacher at the Magnolia Zen Center in Mary Esther, Florida, and he's the founder of that Zotho Foundation I talked about. Um, And, you know, so much people, so many people are like, oh, my gosh, I need to meditate. I'm, you know, kind of feeling chaotic, overwhelmed. Uh, But yet they find it really, really difficult. You know, they're like, I can't stop my thinking. I get really antsy. And then they start to feel bad about themselves. And I know I did that years ago early on as well when my teacher very gently um, suggested that I meditate for, you know, 10 minutes a day. And I, you know, I couldn't get past about three days and then I'd give up. (laughs) Um, And until I found my personal way of doing it which is really uh, being in in my body um, as often as I can throughout the day. And that could be one second at a time or two seconds at a time. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to um, asking Claude how he teaches it because he is a Zen Buddhist monk and uh, he is from, you know, coming from the horrors of the battlefields in Vietnam, struggling with drug addiction, depression, and violence. Um, And now after 26 years as a fully ordained Zen Buddhist monk, he's really passionate about helping people get to that place of peace. And he ultimately got there himself, obviously, um, and is well acquainted with suffering. And there's a lot of people right now suffering in the world, whether mentally, physically, energetically. And uh, so we're going to talk about how to meditate, quote unquote, correctly, how to become more peaceful and how to live a more awakened life. So definitely, if you're interested in, um, you know, Connecting with that, uh, listen in today. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, the number is 818-514-1190. Again, it's 818-514-1190 and hit one so you know that your hand is up. And if you have a comment, I'll also open up the um, the chat here. Just let me do that in a click a button here. Yes, here we go. We're going to open up the chat as well um, so that you can um, ask some questions, comment, you know, share with us your personal experience, you know, with meditation and uh, being calm in, in the, you know, in the um, area of arena of chaos, you know, however you do it and maybe get some feedback. So let me just uh, unmute Claude here. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Claude, let's see. Um, I got you unmuted, um, but it looks like we're having some technical difficulties here. So um, hopefully you guys can hear me. <laughs> uh, well, I'm using the right headphones, so it should it should work. Um, 
So if you're on the chat, if you could please uh, connect in and just, you know, type in there so I know that you can hear me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, um, Claude, have you call in again, if that's possible, or, you know, um, click that link uh, that we have you. So I'm going to drop you right now because uh, I think you'll have to recall in and see if that works. And that's always the issue with live radio is sometimes it's live, so <laughs> we have technical difficulties. So yesterday I had um, – got married to the love of my life, James, and we had a Zoom and, you know, invited family and friends to the Zoom, and I think only one person could make it because I don't know what happened. It just didn't seem to work properly. Oh, well, you know, here I am talking to the camera, and uh, but at least we had one person on. Um, so, yeah, technical stuff happens. So we'll have him come go ahead and uh, call back in. Let me just check in. Um, all right, great. Okay, so Tasha says he is coming in. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, I'll just say thank you here. Thank you, Tasha. Okay, he called in via phone, but when I unmuted, I heard no sound. Yeah, so Claude is actually traveling right now. So he is going to call us back, and I'm looking for that number. Um, and yeah, so cross your fingers. Gonna have this happen. It's gonna be exciting. Uh, actually, while we're doing this and waiting for him to call in, let's go ahead and share this to the show today. There we go. I'll just share that to my profile here. All right. So let's see. Let's see if this works. Hi, Claude. We can hear you now. Yay! <laughs> Great. Thanks for your patience with me. I- I seem to have had some trouble with the links and things. Oh, yeah, no worries. But I bet you, you that you're an expert at, uh, you know, internally dealing with, you know, things that don't go perfectly smoothly, <laughs> even with the uh, tech because yeah. of all the work you've done over the last 26 years. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We're excited to have you here. Well, I, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, yeah, I well, you know, it's, it's perfect. What, well, what you do in your passion and connection with, you know, uh, what you teach uh, is, I feel, just so, so important <laughs> and vital right now for all of humanity. And different people will resonate with different teachers, different styles. And so I just love to bring to, to my tribe, you know, other experts uh, in this field because what resonates with one person, you know, what, the way I teach what may not resonate with them. Um, and your story is just so compelling. So, Claude, if you wouldn't mind, we would love to hear a little bit about, you know, more about your, your past and kind of like what you went through because sometimes people feel like, you know, whatever they've gone through that they can't make it, like they, they can't get beyond it. So you've gone through quite a bit. So we'd love to hear your story. Um, let's see where to start. Um, I was born in a, a, a small rural uh, community in northwest Pennsylvania. I was born and raised, a, a small town named Waterford. Um, I come from a patriarchal lineage of um, men who served in war. Um, my father had been a soldier in the Second War. He was a school teacher, a high school school teacher, well liked mm. and respected in his community. Um, However, my father died at the age of 53 uh, from, um, they they said it was a heart attack. He died in his sleep. I knew it was his lifestyle. 
I grew up in a family. My father never talked about the war. Um, Mm. My father used um, alcohol and and tobacco to to attempt to keep all of that at a distance. And um, that's what I learned. And the family, the family, there was a lot of violence in the family, Um, not from my father, but from my mother. And my mother Mm. was, um, my mother was 17 when I was born. Um, Wow. Yes, she never finished high school. Um, So my father had a master's degree. My mother never finished high school. She took in laundry. Um, She worked as a hostess in restaurants and this sort of thing. Um, and, uh, And she was... Yeah, she was quite violent, my mother. That's not to say that my father didn't have his episodes. He did. Mm. For the most part, he was just he was just absent. And my mm. parents divorced when I was when I was quite young. And um, I ended up. Um, I my mother took my sister and I with her when she um, left my father, who was in the hospital at the time. And um, I didn't want to go. I felt kidnapped. And so wow. um, I. I started a process of running away because and, and, and I wanted to go back home. My, my family wasn't necessarily my mother and my father and my sister. My family was the community of people that I lived with um, in Waterford where I grew up, and I just wanted to be back there. And mm. um, eventually they had to let me go. My mother had to let me go because I told her if she didn't, I would keep running away. I was 12 at the time. I grew up primarily on my own. My father was not around very much. Um, and uh, at 17, I enlisted in the military while I was still in high school. Um, what? Did he know I, about that? Did that my dad listed? know about that? Yeah. Yeah, he had to, he had to sign the papers. I wasn't old oh, enough to sign okay. the legal document. Oh, and so he yes, was I for was, that? Yes, he absolutely supported that. Okay. In fact, he encouraged it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah, because... Hmm. Because he said, I mean, he was, uh, he was, oh, it was in the bloodline. Um, plus, gotcha. he thought it was. An, it was like an, an honor, honor, huh? An honorable. What's that? It was like an honor, you know, to continue yes. that. Got it. Got it. Yes. Yes. And he actually um, um, encouraged me. I mean, it's true. I was a pretty unmanageable young guy. Um, if it wouldn't have been for high school athletics, I, I would probably wouldn't have stayed in school. Or if it wasn't the fact that my father taught in the school where I went, um, but so I went in the military. Um, the, the discipline of the military was a shock to me. I had a very rough time in the beginning, um, and my solution was to volunteer to go to Vietnam. Wow. And so I believed. I believed in the myth of war. I believed in all of the films that I saw. The John the Wayne movies. Yeah, Some people would say. <laughs> Uh, yes. No, I wouldn't argue with that. Um, okay. Because it is. It, it, I, I use the word myth, but yeah, there is. That's a good it, word. There is a measure of. There is a there is a, a measure of propaganda in this. Um, uh, and uh, the, my war experience wasn't anything like the myth of war that was that was portrayed in films and in books and mm. and. Uh, you know, it's it, war is war is not this heroic thing. War is not mm. a once once I arrived in war, it became not about the ideals that we were that that initially I believed in and as the reasons for going to war. Um, it was just about staying alive and 
keeping the people around you alive. And uh, and and to do that, um, that were it necessitated it necessitated on on doing witnessing and participating in unspeakable acts, um, things that you just wouldn't regularly see in a daily life. Although um, living in America, it's not on it's not untold that one would experience the same sorts of things. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. You know, I come from a family of teachers, so very, very different background. Uh, mm. And and uh, even watching, you know, the, the, you know, the news or something like that, I would I just in the in the past would just freak me out because I I just couldn't tolerate any little bit of real violence there. So I just can't imagine um, what your family has witnessed and gone through and uh, all that. So wow. Then what happened? Well, um, I was injured quite seriously in the war, spent a significant amount of time in military hospital. Mm. And um, in the military hospital, um, um, I was given narcotics for pain medication. Um, and when it came time to leave the military, um, I went out of the hospital. I, I was discharged from, from the military right out of the hospital. And, and I was never... Um, detox from those narcotics. And okay. So I was dis- I was discharged from the military with the dependence on narcotics and violence. And <sighs> and I don't know I don't know what's more addictive or what's more powerful um uh, uh, morphine or war. Mm. Huh. War in itself is an incredibly addictive experience. And the How adrenaline so? Well, the adrenaline that's, that accompanies um, the adrenaline that accompanies life and death situations is intense beyond imagination. Um, and at the, in the moment of experiencing that, one doesn't actually realize what one's experiencing, because it's just part and parcel of of, of what uh, it was part and parcel of the experience. You know to to be shot at, to watch people die around you, to um, have the power. I, at 18 years old, I was given the power to decide who lived and died. That's right. That's some. That's some. That's some real juice for a young person. Um, and and there's there's like no coming back from that. Um, mm. So so after the war, I had no. I had no so I had no model of how to work in any kind of constructive way with how I was impacted by my by my combat service uh, by my military training in combat service um, I only the only model I had was my father and the men in the community where I grew up who had served in war and and predominantly what I saw was they were using alcohol and tobacco and, and other lifestyle choices to make an effort to anesthetize mm. their experiences or the impact of their experiences, the emotional, psychological, spiritual impacts, the, their moral wounding. Um, and so that's, that's all I knew. That's what I did. And the, but the alcohol and the drugs, are not 
they weren't they weren't a solution. They were just becoming more and more the problem. And and uh, so my life from the time I left the military until 1983 was growing increasingly more chaotic, increasingly more dangerous, and um, increasingly more pointless. Um, in the United States today, um, 22 soldiers or veterans kill themselves every day. Oh, my gosh. 22. That's, that's a conservative estimate, I think, because of, of the 50 states, only 30 report those kinds of suicides. Um, and this is and the United States I, you're talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about the United States. Wow, that's that's more young people than that die of COVID. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. Um, I will also say that the the the, the preponderance of suicides, um, according to the numbers that are shown, are between the ages of fifty and seventy. Oh so it's, wow! So it's not just—it's just not—it's not just the new people. Okay. And okay. the work that, and in the engagement I have with other soldiers, um, and 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 other people who have served, other veterans, um, is that um, most people haven't begun to realize, really realize how how deeply their life has been affected until a decade or more. After so it's like it's like people can kind of push it down for a while, and then it starts catching up with them. Um, I would say I wouldn't argue with that premise. What I would say is that the life the life that we live in that period between getting out of the military and waking up to the fact that wait a minute something's not right here. The life that we lived in there. Just as what made sense. It was just it was just war. War was chaotic okay. like that. War yep. war carried these kinds of experiences with us. I mean, if 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 the if the activity that I was engaged in post the war didn't have life or death consequences, it just didn't really make any sense to me. It was because it was I I didn't feel anything. I was so overloaded with adrenaline and 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 an overwhelming sense of a myriad of feelings that I had no idea what they were, um, is that I, I, ordinary experiences were just they didn't touch me. Wow. And I'm not I, I'm not unique. Well, I, I have I'm seen some movies where you know the um, protagonist or whatever um, is like this well-trained military type person. I know it's a movie, uh, but what really struck me was the uh, ability for them to really tolerate incredible stress and physical pain, um, almost like they were numb uh, well, because of their because, training. Because at a certain, it's not. Um, it is true that. To a certain point, we I mean, we are numb. We are conditioned mm. to just not feel. It, it's impossible mm. to to engage in activities where the where you have to decide who lives and dies. 
um, and be connected to one's own humanity, to feel anything. One must. Right. We're, we're, we're initially conditioned to compartmentalize. But uh-huh. in truth, at 17 and 18 years old, um, I didn't have enough behind me in terms of uh, awareness that um, that I had anything to fall back on. So that the military and the war experience were my uh, so that w- were the starting point for my life after military service. Yeah, yeah, wow, wow. And how did you figure out finally that, okay, this is not, my life is not working? Did you have like a pivotal point, turning point? But, you know, this is a question I'm often asked. They said, well, what, what, what was the point where you just got it? And, 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 and uh, would you prefer that I call you Karen or would you prefer that I call you Dr. Kong? Oh, either is fine. Either is fine. Uh, Thank you. Okay. Um, so um, it was, I think it was an evolutionary process for me. I felt my engagement, I, my engagement with other people was, was fruitless. Um, I, I, I didn't mm. feel connected to anything or anyone. I felt quite isolated, quite alienated, quite alone. Regular life um, or what I define as regular life didn't make any sense to me. And, and the overdoses were coming closer and closer together. Um, um, I was involved in a relationship and at, at one point, and the, uh, the woman that I was involved with told me that I needed to do something about my anger. I told her that I was not angry as I <laughs> broke the telephone receiver in my hands. This was oh, all dialogue on the telephones. Um, I'm seeing it in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Wow. But I was really, I was convinced. I was convinced that I wasn't. I just was, my life, I was convinced that the problem wasn't me. It was everything around me. Mm. But what I did is because I wanted to salvage that relationship, which never did get salvaged, is I, she she said, if if, in order for her to stay, I had to get into therapy. Uh And so... Um, I found a psychiatrist. Eventually, I, I talked to several. No one would take me on as a patient. So finally, one man took me on as a patient, and um, he helped me to save my life. Um, mm. Now, therapy gave me some tools to begin to understand, um, to begin to identify feelings, to begin to understand feelings. Um, also, what therapy helped me to understand was that um, that alcohol and other drugs were not a solution for me, but they were part of the problem. And that if I wanted therapy to work, I needed to stop taking those things. Um, um, I wasn't able to do that on my own. Um, I mm-hmm. had to go, I went into a drug and alcohol treatment center in 1983. Um, this was after, it was after two, in, it was after an intensive care visit approaching another, yet another overdose. Um, I went into treatment. And in treatment, uh, in alcohol and drug treatment that center that I went to, um, I discovered that um, yeah, my primary problem at that point in time was first drink, the first pill, fix, the first pill. That I needed to stop doing that, and I needed to stay stopped doing that. 
Mm-hmm. And once I made that commitment, then it opened me up for a full range of experiences that were laying underneath that blanket of drug and alcohol dependence. And um, so it was, um, it was the relation, then therapy, then treatment. And then once I got out of alcohol and drug treatment, I was encouraged to, um, to find the support of, of like-minded people, and I did that. And, um, and in that process, I connected with a social worker who was working with um, a group of people who were also making an effort to recover from active addiction or mm-hmm. who had grown up in families where um, active addiction was present. Um, and it was the social worker who recognized that um, that this the issues that I was the issues that were chewing at me, um, which were related to the war, um, I needed needed a needed a particular focus and needed an additional focus beyond what I was already doing. Mm-hmm. She identified uh, to me that there was a, there was a, a Buddhist monk who, was, who had done some work with Vietnam veterans. And it was, this was in the, in the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. And, and, wouldn't it be, and, it would be, uh, and it would be a good thing for me to do, to go to, this, to a retreat with this monk. Um, I thought she was crazy. Okay, I was going to say, how open were you to that? <laughs> yeah, no, I thought she was nuts. But I wouldn't say that to her because um, I didn't want it to risk um, alienating the one place where I felt safe. Right, right. So I right. just told her, I told her, yeah, yeah, no, oh, great, wonderful, I'll go. But I made it <laughs> as absolutely difficult as possible for them to accept me. And, and unfortunately... <laughs> Sorry, I'm yeah, really. All I had to do was tell the truth. Oh, okay. I just, explained, I just explained who I was, and they went, whoa, we don't want this guy, man. And, but the organizers of the retreat said, we don't turn away anybody. Mm. And, and so I went. Wow. So it was, it was relation, psychiatrist, drug and alcohol treatment, continued abstinence, social worker, then retreat. And in this retreat, um, I began for the first time. There was something, something happened. Um, I, I discovered meditation in a way in which I never knew it before. And I was given the information that meditation, daily life, are not two things. And that meditation isn't designed to fix you. It's not mm-hmm. designed to to relieve you of your stress. It's not designed to take away your feelings. It's not designed to stop your thoughts. It, is a, it, it opens up a pathway where, you can, where the individual can discover what their unpeacefulness is, and then there, there exist the tools to, to learn how to live at peace with that unpeacefulness. Mm. And... Uh, at the conclusion of this retreat, um, I went to talk to the, I wanted to talk to the retreat leader, the abbot, uh, the, the monk who was there, and, 
and I ended up talking with his assistant, and I wanted to apologize for all of the all of the violence and and all of the killing that I was responsible for in Vietnam, and 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 what I couldn't I just couldn't say it. I just said I, I want to go back to Vietnam. That's all that came out, and what that what the nun said to me was, come to our monastery, let us help you, we can help you. If you go now, you'll be exploited. And You'll be exploited? Is that words, what they said? Yeah, yeah, that's oh. what she said. She said that okay. they would take advantage, that the Vietnamese would take advantage of my vulnerability, my suffering. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and uh, when, when she said, come to our monastery, let us help you, and we can help you. Really, I just burst into tears because ah. I had been, I understood at some level that I I really was waiting to hear that my whole life and no one in this country had ever said that to me. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, well, I'd love to come, but I don't have any money because, in fact, I was unemployable. And, uh. and the nun said, just make the commitment and see what happens. So I made the commitment. And... Uh-huh. A group of people donated up money for a ticket. I went, and their monastery was in France. I went with the intention to stay for 30 days and stayed for three years. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I left there. Wow. I left there, came back to the U.S., and within a, in a month within a month or, or so, I was introduced to an American Zen teacher, um, and he um, ex- he said he what he said to me is he said I want to ordain you and um, I had been offered that in the monastery where I was first um, living and studying uh-huh. and uh, I it, it didn't I it didn't resonate with me I did, I I wasn't it didn't appeal to me and it felt too much like joining the military again and I'd had enough. But ah. What this guy said, what this guy said to me was, um, when I said, "Well, what do you want from me?" He said, "Nothing. I want you to keep doing what you're doing, and commit yourself to a life of active meditation." It was the right thing to say, but it, it was actually more involved than that. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I took the invitation to, I took the invitation, because I knew it. I asked him. I said, "Well, do I have to shave my head?" Uh, because I had really long blonde hair, and I just loved my hair. And he <laughs> said, yeah, it's true. And he said, yes. And I thought, oh. Oh, he did? Then, really? I, yeah, he said, yeah, you got to shave your head. That's part oh. of the deal. And I went, hmm. And then, but then another voice said, well, look, it's just hair, man. You know, <laughs> shave it off. And if you don't like it, don't go back. And so I just kept taking the next step and the next step and the next step. Huh. And um, uh, so um, the, it wasn't a particular event, but a series of unfoldings for me that led me to where I am at today. And I tell you, I could not have scripted it. I couldn't have ever imagined that my life could be where it's at today. Wow. So... As an ordained Buddhist monk, 
Um, I think, you know, if people have questions about, well, gee, you know, do I have to have these rules or, you know, can I exemplify those, those you know, that peace and, and, and joy but on my terms without necessarily, you know, becoming a Buddhist monk or going to, you know, going to a monastery or going to an ashram or going to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I find the commitments that I've made to be liberating, hmm. not restrictive. Interesting. Um, yes, it was. It was interesting to me, too, um, because uh, up until that point, and I was not a rule guy. <laughs> I was totally <laughs> of that. Uh, however, um, what I discovered is that the commitments that I made were not rules to be followed rigidly, but rather guidelines okay, to guide me in this process of really um, coming to terms, but waking up to the suffering which I inherited from... Mm-hmm my mother and my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, from the, the, the cultural conditioning that I was exposed to growing up in this small rural town in northwest Pennsylvania, to, to wake up to that conditioning, which was deciding for me. Um, I, I was always in, under the impression that I was deciding, mm-hmm. that I wasn't deciding. That conditioning was already shaping my decisions, so by making the commitments I made, I had the opportunity to become more conscious of how I was conditioned and to develop a more active relationship with that conditioning because it never goes away. The truth of my military service, it never goes away. But right. I can, but this, the, the, the tools, the pathway that's been offered to me, the tools that have been passed on to me, um, have really served as a great support in learning to live at peace with my unpeacefulness. I, I can go into places where more people like me ought to go, but they don't, into active war zones, into refugee camps, into, um, into locked psychiatric facilities, into maximum security prisons, because I do not see myself as separate from any of those people in those circumstances. I, I'm encouraged through Buddhist practice to see where I am connected, not where I am different. And, and I'm also encouraged to let go of my ideas of things. Now, that doesn't mean I become empty, and it doesn't mean I don't have ideas. But what, what's peace? And the moment I think I know what peace is, I, I already know that's not it. Peace is not a fixed point. Uh-huh. Um, it rather expresses itself freshly in each moment. Mm. And, 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 and to, to, to have that awareness, which is something I, I believe I had when I, in, in the early parts of my life, in the, like the first eight, ten years of my life, to, to have that awareness and, and be willing to go, okay, so this is my idea. Now, what's the truth here? And what I've discovered is that, okay, I have the idea, and the truth will, will show itself through time if I just am willing to stay connected to my breath and, and neither reject 
nor be driven by the ideas of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that rise in me in any given moment. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, that saying where they say, don't take yourself seriously or something. <laughs> like whatever yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, you, can, you can take what I just said, all of the, all the verbiage I just said, and reduce it right down to what you just said. Don't take myself <laughs> seriously. Oh, wow, wow. Well, it's interesting what you said about that, um, you know, commitment as well, because uh, it, 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 even the thought of, you know, shaving my head, for example, um, at first there's a voice that says, well, you, you know, you could grow it back. I mean, heck, you have a heck of a lot of hair, Dr. Karen, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. but I, I could kind of almost feel the other side of that is that, oh, wow, I can feel that little bit of attachment. You know, yeah, and that's the awareness Uh of the attachment. Go, oh, look at that. Oh, isn't that interesting? Right. And I used to be very attached to eating. I'm not saying people should not eat. Okay. But but what I noticed as I was doing this, you know, kind of play, I call it playing, you know, practicing, you know, it's like, oh, you know, intermittent fasting. I'm like, well, this is really interesting. And the first time I started the special diet, I was scared, Claude. I was scared of starving, but I knew my brain said, you are not going to starve. You could not eat like for 24 hours and you will not starve, right? But I, but emotionally, no. I was like, oh my gosh, I am so exactly. addicted to eating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or, or, or addicted, or let's say attached to the idea yes. that I needed, that I needed to live in a certain way to be okay. Right. Yeah, right. So in preparation, in preparation for my novice ordination, um. I uh, was invited to to fast and chant from sun up to sundown for five days. Mm. No food, no water. Wow. Sun up to sundown, five days. I just did it. They weren't asking me to. They weren't asking me to take a life. They were asking me just mm. to do this. Mm. And, so, and and. Based on everything I'd been through, um, yeah, I didn't have any problem with giving it a go because I, I just somehow intuitively knew that at any point in time, I can say no. I can walk away from this. Mm, and have but, a choice. I wear, yeah. yeah, I have a choice. I, I predominantly, I wear robes predominantly because those were the clothes given to me when I became ordained. Mm. And um, I... I know that, it, I mean, at any given time, I, I could stop doing that. And I'm asked to make certain commitments. I, I've taken vows of poverty. I've taken vows of chastity. I've taken vows to be committed to the precepts that I've taken. Precepts, they're, they're those guidelines that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that it, these are commitments that I make willingly. They are not rules mm. to be followed rigidly. But what what sh- these commitments actually show me things about myself. They give me insights into the way my thought processes work. They give me insights into the way, in, into the, my emotional self. Um, they give uh, insights into my relationship with the world around me and how I've been conditioned to view that world. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I, I can honestly say that for me, this way of living is the best in the world for me. And and what I have the privilege to do is I have the privilege to be able to share these tools with people who have experiences like me, not only or not exclusively, but I'm, 
I, I'm, I'm called in, routinely I'm called in on suicide intervention. So I'm, r- routinely I'm going into um, uh, military hospitals. Um, routinely mm. I'm meeting with soldiers who've spent some time in the military who have, uh, who have a significant combat experience and, and, and all of a sudden at a certain point they turn around and go, the world doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah. And, and, and I, I can, I can t- tell them and say, look, I, I, I can legitimately identify with them and, and, and this, these experiences aren't particular to the military or people who served in the military. There are a plethora of people who have had experiences in their life that have impacted them in similar ways. Mm. And, and so what was once my, I perceived as my greatest liabilities mm-hmm. have suddenly become assets. Mm. And, I love and, that. And and I'm 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 very candid with people. I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to tell you that whatever your suffering is is going to go away. It may get more intense before you figure this thing out. But if you if you'll engage with these tools, they will help you find what works for you. Mm. That is fantastic. Do you find that uh, when you come in to these places and um, do they perceive you differently because your head's shaved and you have a robe, do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, yes. I mean, I I understand at some level I understand discrimination um, because I am treated differently. Um, Mm. But, you know, I just – I understand also this has nothing to do with me has everything to do with that person who is treating me differently. Mm. And uh, what you may example, get the opposite of, of, of people just uh, for me, like, you know, it, it, some people may see you and feel like they're in the presence of an honored guest. I mean, there's the other side of it as well, or an honored person. So they automatically you may have respect. Just like, you know, somebody with a, the white collar, you know, when they come into the hospital, they immediately have, a certain degree of respect. Yes, and 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 for and for me, that's also problematic, um, mm-hmm. because they're they're not seeing they're they're not what I'm what they're doing is they're projecting on me uh, what they think I am or what they would like me to yep. be or what they think I'm about, and so it also takes away my humanity. Now, right. either way, either way, I can either way I have learned over time how to work. Um, Consciously and effectively with those projections, um, mm. and 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 that has everything to do with the commitment to the disciplines that were presented to me in my training in both monasteries where I studied. Um, it's about understanding that um, what rises up in me is not necessarily the truth. Uh, my perception <laughs> of what's going on is not necessarily the truth, and so. To hold, how, how to just hold that, hold the tension of that. Like being with it. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Again, like not taking yourself too seriously or even believing your own thoughts. <laughs> just like, wow, that's okay, so I'm thinking this. <laughs> so my perception is yes. this. Hmm, that's interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty masterful stuff. So I'm wondering, you know, for the for the person that's like, wow, you know, I've not been quote unquote successful, quote at meditating. Like, I'd like to be more peaceful. Like, where do you think they should quote unquote start, or how would you counsel them to start? Well, um, I I had the privilege, I've had the privilege to be invited um, to speak publicly about these topics. Um, I also facilitate meditation retreats um, wherever I'm invited. And, I'm, and until COVID, I was traveling 260 days a year. Wow. Um, and I, I, was, I, was invited, I was invited to all sorts of places all over the world. And, and uh, what I make an effort to do is, is just to first um, – one of the first things I do is I ask people – What's the most important thing in their life? Okay. And they'll give me a, a variety of answers. And then what I'll do is I'll have my assistant. Uh, I'll tell the people, I would like you to pay attention. Put, I'm going to do an exercise, and I'd like you to make an effort to put yourself in my skin. And then I'll have my assistant cover my nose and my mouth. And I'll say, now, when, when I want you to move your hand, I'll tap your hand, and, and please remove your hand. And so she'll, she'll hold my nose and mouth, and at a certain point I'll tap her hand, and she doesn't remove it. What? And then I'll, yeah, and then I'll tap it again, and she doesn't remove it. And then I'll take her hand, and I'll, I'll, I'll remove it. It's part of the process that was agreed upon with us. Right. And, it, and then... Um, at that moment, I'll ask the group. So at that point at which I took the hand away, what was the most important thing in my life? And people will say, well, you, your life, breathing. You know, I said, that's, that's the deal. The very foundation of life is one breath, hmm. followed by one breath. Because we breathe in, there's no guarantee that we'll breathe out. We hmm. take that for granted, but there's no guarantee. And because we breathe out, there's no guarantee that we'll breathe in. So I, I, th- those things that people mention as important are important, but without the breath, they don't exist. So, mm-hmm. I, so I introduce people, I take them like this into the, into the reality of breath awareness. Okay. I also say, and one of the things that, that, um, one of the things that I value about Zen practice is this, exploration of ideas and topics. So I said, if anyone doesn't, if anyone disagrees with me that breath is the foundation of life, you know, the very foundation of it, then um, I turn a chair around. I said, then come up and sit in the chair and let me cover your nose and mouth. <laughs> let's, ex- let's just check out your idea. Yeah. Oh, my and, gosh. And, and people, you know, people want to argue about things. They want to project their ideas on things. But Spiritual practice is about transcending those ideas. Um, right. And so I introduce people into breath awareness, and then I simply invite them and say, look, first thing in the morning when you get up, just make your bed like you never slept in it. And then find a place, a comfortable place, and sit. And then I give some instructions on posture. And I say, just connect with your breath for five minutes. Just five minutes. Yeah. And then... Take that awareness into your day. But you sit just to sit. If you're sitting to get peaceful, 
you won't get peaceful because mm. you're sitting you trying to get life to conform to your ideas of what peaceful means, and mm-hmm. that's not peace. Right. So it's, yeah, if you're sitting to get rid of your stress, I mean, or a lot of people think that in, in sitting meditation, you're, you're not supposed to have any thoughts. I tell people, I say, okay, if you don't have any thoughts, you're brain dead. <laughs> yeah, this is not the point. The point is not to not have thoughts. It's about our relationship with the thoughts, not rejecting them and not allowing them to control us. Mm-hmm. And so connecting with the breath, and at the point we realize that we have lost connection with the breath, we simply come back to breath awareness. At five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. Start there. Do it every day for 30 days. And sit just to sit. Just do it to do it. Not to accomplish anything. Just do it. And if any questions arise, um, I say, yeah, look, I'm a 21st century monk. I have email. You can write to me. Yeah, I'd be glad to yeah. respond to any questions you have. Oh, that's great. So uh, do they connect with you at the zalfo.org? Uh, yes, that's one way they can do it. Um, okay. Or um, as it, you know, that I, I was on your on the website for the radio show, and the introduction that you had, and the pictures that were there, it was it was really nice. I really appreciated that. Um, Yay! You had both both books that I have had the privilege to publish. You had both of them up there, and the first book, at Hell's Gate: A Soldier's Journey from War to Peace, which mm-hmm. is published by Shambhala. Um, it has actually my telephone number, my personal wow. telephone number, and my email address in there. Um, this was a bone of contention with the editor because the editor <laughs> said authors don't list their phone numbers and their email addresses. And I said, look, I, I'm a monk. I'm not an author. <laughs> and so, they're, so they're in there. Um, wow. But yes, if, they, if people write to me at info at zalto.org, that always gets to me. And oh, I do respond. I respond to all my emails. That's amazing. So let's go ahead and um, let's just spell that out for folks that are listening in. Sure. Um, you mean the email address? Uh, well, the the um, the you know your website name. Sure. The the name of the website, um, or the, yeah, let's see. Sometimes my brain runs fast. My mouth runs faster than my brain. Um, the the web, the website address is www.zalto that's z a l t h o o r g that's www.zalto.org okay fantastic yeah that's great thank you so much um, oh, you're welcome. I wanted to share, you know, in case the folks that are listening in live want to ask you a question, uh, the number to call in is 818-514-1190. Hit one so we know your hand is up. You know, share with us what's going on in your life. Uh, also, the chat is open on the live as well if you'd like to connect with uh, Claude and myself on chat. Um, again, the number to call in, 818-514-1190. Hit one. And, um, or, you know, continue staying, you know, listening in. Um, Claude, was there something that you wanted to share or communicate with our audience today that we haven't already addressed or touched on? Um, let's see. 
Yes, I would like to say peace is not the absence of conflict. Mm. It's learning how to engage in conflict without that conflict degenerating into war violence. Violence, whether it's in thought, speech, or action. And, and, and please, and let's look to where we are connected with the other, not where we are separate. That's much too easy to see where we are separate. Um, I'm, um, I often like to say, um, right now, I don't have any enemies, none. Um, five minutes from now, I don't know, but now I don't have any. Um, so, yes, I would like to, to just communicate that. Violence is just not a solution. It only leads to more violence. Wow. You know, that was so profound. I, I think I, I'm going to have to make a meme and quote you on that. So I apologize for having you repeat yourself, but I was like, okay, I have to type this up. So uh, so starting, if you don't mind, start again. Peace is not the absence of conflict. And then you said something about conflict not degenerating to war or something like that. It was just so yes. profound. I so love it. Peace, so, so peace is not the absence of conflict. Mm-hmm. It's being able to engage in conflict without that conflict degenerating to war and violence. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that. Because I just find a lot of people realize, think that they have to be in agreement with everyone in order for us to have unity. And it doesn't. It didn't really resonate with me, that belief. I guess we can call it a myth, I suppose. Um, because I was like, wait a second, we can be different and have different preferences, different, um, and, and be in, in disagreement and still have peace and unity. I just, It was just really hard for me to communicate that, and you just did that beautifully. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I, I, yeah, I have, I have a, well, I, I have a, I have an active relationship with any number of people who are in the military and who were being active, actively deployed into war zones, and, and they're not the problem. Mm. So where do I connect to them? Because I, I know when they come back, I, I know what's waiting for them. They don't know yet, but I know. Right. I don't have to support what they do, um, but I can still support them. Mm-hmm. Well, I just like that word that you used, engage. You know, it's it's being able mm, to yeah. engage in conflict without conflict degenerating into war and violence. Because we have another, like that mythology or that thought or assumption that we can't have conflict at all. We all have to agree. We all have to, you know, harmony, 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 om, om, om. <laughs> and it, it um, this is very, very different. Yeah, well, I could also say that um, that that being able to be in conflict and not having that conflict degenerating into war and violence or rejection or uh, pushing away um, is, is being able to engage in, in conflict is harmony. Mm. We, we have an idea that harmony means no conflict, and this is simply a myth. It, it's a misunderstanding. One of the essential teachings... Um, that I've been exposed to and goes on and on about um, the ideas of things. The Uh idea of peace is not peace. The idea of love is not love. The idea of harmony is not harmony. Harmony, 
peace, love, all of that will show itself to us. It's not a static experience. It will show it to us if we're willing to invite more stillness into our lives, to wake up to how we have been conditioned to experience the world. Mm, yeah. I love it. A lot of times we, um, our, our society is built on, and this is part of this conditioning you're talking about, is um, getting to the end point, uh, accomplishing the outcome. In other words, you know, I'm doing meditation so I can be, you know, peaceful and <laughs> om all the time and, you know, not have any arguments. And um, and the people that I found the most inspirational are the ones that have all of that that every other human has, but a, a different, you know, um, awareness around that. Um, yes. Yeah. As you were as you were reciting that, I, I just I had to chuckle because it, mm-hmm. it's, a lot of people approach meditation with all of those ideas, and when those ideas aren't fulfilled, they say, "Well, that stuff's not working." Then yep. they're done and, that. And, <laughs> yeah. Then they're done that. It's not working. I'm out of here. I, I'm, I'll go find something else. <clears throat> I, I'm, I really so strongly um, encourage people to understand that when sitting down and inviting more silence and stillness into our lives, that the, the conditioning that's hiding underneath our activity and, 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 and under our ideas of what our life is and what our experience is, it'll begin to show itself. And and that experience can often be quite uncomfortable. Now mm. it's exactly at that point that a lot of people turn away. Um, they go looking for something else because they don't mm. want to feel uncomfortable. And and it's at that point that I encourage people to just just stay with it. Sit just to sit, and and just stay with this. Connect with your breath. Walk just to walk. Eat just to eat. Work just to work. Mm. Without that attachment to that endpoint, that it's supposed to yes. look like this, or supposed to look, and 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 you know, being healer, the the healing world, very similarly, is people get disappointed when they go from healer to healer to healer, and they go, well, it didn't work. You know, yeah, they didn't fix me. Um, it What's they up? didn't fix me, <laughs> or you didn't fix me <laughs> in my case. I think. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, and um. Yeah, it's it's just really really interesting, and and I feel like my biggest magic isn't so much the healing work per se, but the um, um, empowerment, so the person can reperceive their own thoughts and ideas and opinions about whatever is happening, not necessarily automatically being something bad or ju- judging it as bad. Yes, couldn't agree and more. Hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah, and that's people are super running fun. around. People, uh, that's like I, I um, often now I see. In, there are a number of films available now, Hollywood films, documentaries also that um, deal with the topic of post-traumatic stress, um, and they don't yet deal with the topic of moral injury, um, which mm. I think is a, a critical topic to be dealt with because moral injury is a wounding, not not different from being shot or stabbed. Or broken mm. up, um, but they what they always describe. There is a healing, and and if you just find the right therapist, if you just find the right 
if you just find the right relationship, Scooby Doo, you'll be all better. Okay. And I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's an injustice. Um, it, it may on some occasions, it, um, those sorts of things, like I mentioned earlier, the, the psychiatrist helped me to save my life. But he didn't fix me. He gave me the opportunity, gave me the tools so that I could start to become more aware. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I didn't have... I'm, I'm glad that... I'm, I'm deeply indebted to this man. Um, for what he has, that he didn't fall into the trap of my projections, and that he helped me to discover or uncover what my projections were. And, and he also understood that his responsibilities were limited, and that the mm. process of awakening um, were also beyond that were yeah were beyond his his scope that that he was helping me to lay the framework um, ah. i so much i so much wanted him to 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 give me a label to tell me I was this or that or the next thing and he he wouldn't do it to his credit he wouldn't do it wow that is pretty I'm, awesome <laughs> yeah i'm 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 really thankful people want that. labels yeah they give me a diagnosis then I know how to treat it yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like oh, you give me a diagnosis, and then we do. You give you this stuff and this stuff, and you do these things, and then you'll You're be secure. Better. Yes, mm-hmm. and and it just doesn't work like that. Now, mm-hmm. I I'm thankful that I know that about about my life today. Mm. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, very grateful that uh, Claude that you've you know, shared this hour with us, with our audience, um, and uh, your experience, your life story, where you are right now, um, you know, some of the tools uh, that you share with people in your workshops. And um, I think for anyone listening in, if this resonates with you, definitely um, go and check it out. Uh, Claude can be reached at www.zalto.org, which is spelled Z-A-L-T-H-O dot O-R-G. And um, also you can uh, email Claude at info at zalto.org. Did I get that right, Claude? <laughs> you did. You did. And I tell you, right. where, where, where are you located? We're in upstate New York. So it's funny because I, I just had my wedding yesterday at a retreat center that oh, my, my friend uh, owns. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And it was just such a beautiful place. And, and we had so many of my friends that are actually, you know, uh, workshop leaders and um, in, in the in that, you know, personal transformation um, uh-huh. And we're like, oh my gosh, I just want to hang out like for weeks here with you guys, you know. Let's 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 figure out some way to have like a multi, you know, training event. And of course, my training event takes five whole days just by myself, so I don't even know how I'm going to do that. But it, we were just so excited to be with each other, and uh, so ah, nice. Um, I'll nice. be come visit us for sure. <laughs> Maybe you know, uh, bring your workshops up here. Uh, uh, you know. At an invitation, I would be glad to do that. I, I have a commitment to go where I'm invited. And I must say, I, I really appreciate your patience with me and connecting to your show, for inviting me, for those of you who listen, for those who listen to your show. And, and uh, this has been most engaging. I have really appreciated it. Thank you. 
Mm, my pleasure. I really appreciate it as well, um, your insights, what you've come through. And I, I'm so glad we, we got connected uh, in this way. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Bless, blessings, blessings to you. And uh, just want to thank everyone for listening in as well, whether it be live or on the replay. Claude, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for who you are and um, what you bring to the world. You're very welcome, Dr. Khan. And All right. back at you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And take care, everyone. Until next time. Bye for now.